Good evening, everyone. Last week, we talked about the Bismarck model of national health insurance, where the government requires that all workers have health insurance. While that's one way to expand people's access to health care, there are other options. This week, we'll talk about the beverage model, in which the government completely runs the healthcare system like they would a police force, for example. Now, despite being known these days as the beverage model, the first attempts at a beverage model did not come from the band named Beverage. We'll talk about him later. Instead, I think the first attempts at something like a beverage model actually come from the Soviet Union. You may remember talk of local government-run healthcare systems in Russia from our episode last week. But of course, in 1917, the Russian Revolution happens, that government gets overthrown, and in 1920, that original system was expanded to the entire country to fulfill the promise of health care as a right. Of course, creating and implementing a national, fully public health system is not quite so simple. Administration of the Soviet health ministry was extremely centralized, controlling hospitals, medical training, doctors, and distributing medical resources throughout the country. They set exact amounts of funds to be allocated to specific categories of medical providers, and as the only buyer of medical supplies for the entire country, they determined the exact amount of equipment, drugs, and other supplies. As it turns out, though, planning an entire country's healthcare so precisely is pretty difficult, especially back in 1920, and for a whole host of reasons the Soviet healthcare system had serious issues. In theory, all citizens had access to free healthcare. But in practice, there were huge limitations on quality. Technically, the Soviet Union for many years had the most doctors and the most hospital beds per capita. However, outcomes were not great, with life expectancy and mortality being much higher in the Soviet Union than in many Western democracies. These problems persisted all the way through the collapse of the Soviet Union 70 years later. For example, in 1989, right before that fall, 27% of rural hospitals didn't have a sewage system, and 17% didn't have running water. Don't get me wrong, every healthcare system has its problems, but other countries' hospitals did have running water. I can't imagine trying to run a hospital without sewage disposal, much less basic plumbing. Regardless, credit where credit is due. I think the Soviets were the first to try for a fully government-run medical system, but now let's talk about why we tend to refer to such systems as beverage models, and jump over to England. So, in 1911, England was actually inspired by the Bismarck model we talked about last week. As another rapidly industrializing country, England was plagued by many similar problems that Germany faced. Seeing the success of Germany's new insurance regulations, they adopted similar measures, which worked fine. However, in the ensuing decades, there were some issues that became rather evident. Healthcare was better, but it was clear that a lot of sickness was preventable, and the poor still did not have adequate access to healthcare, even with the Bismarck model in place. However, party politics and hesitation prevented any national change from occurring, and being in the United States right now, that sounds very familiar. When the Great Depression hit, it made matters even worse, for everyone, but especially the poor. And then, of course, World War II broke out. During wartime, the government had to care for wounded soldiers, and so created the Emergency Hospital Service, making such services dependent on the government. People saw, often in surprise, that the new medical service was actually pretty efficient, and it was, of course, a time of great national solidarity, all which pointed towards the need for a new health service. By 1941, the Ministry of Health was putting together a policy that would make health services available to the entire general public. 
A committee was created to put together a report on the state of healthcare in Britain, headed by Sir William Beveridge, which is where the name comes from. Ironically, Beveridge wasn't initially interested in the committee, at first thinking it was a distraction from his other work in the Ministry of Labor. However, Beveridge's boss found him to be rather conceited and didn't like working with him, and so recommended him for the position to get him out of his department, which I find kind of hilarious. Beveridge quickly became interested, though, and the report his committee generated is to be an incredibly influential work. It was titled Social Insurance and Allied Services, although it became known colloquially as the Beveridge Report. It recommended that an income tax should be collected and used to provide benefits to the sick, unemployed, retired, and widowed. It argued that the government had to fight the five giants on the road to reconstruction, being want, disease, ignorance, squalor, and idleness, which is some well-crafted writing. Left-leaning parties were already on board, generally believing that people deserved health care, but even conservatives of the time were swayed by arguments that welfare institutions would increase the competitiveness of British companies after World War II by saving them health care and pension costs, and by producing healthier, wealthier workers, who would both make more stuff and also buy more stuff. In 1945, the British Labour Party came to power with one of the largest majorities in British history, promising a program of public ownership. Hospitals were no exception. Just months after the new election, a National Health Service Act was introduced and passed during the first session of the new parliament. The Minister of Health, Anirin Bevan, came in with a plan that would prevent a whole bunch of issues. Bevan had seen many previous proposals, which were then slowly deconstructed by special interests like the hospitals, the doctors, and local politicians, until the actual reforms became toothless. Bevan proposed the new health system would be administrated in newly designed regions, which always contained a medical school and did not always align with existing political regions. The medical school served as a natural anchor for each region that would provide new research, staff, and education and ensure no region was without at least one cutting-edge hospital. It also removed control of the health system from existing politicians' control, who of course have their own interests, and it avoided some of the problems with the Soviet Union's health system by allowing more decisions to be made locally. Bevan's plan was probably vital in allowing the NHS, or National Health System, to get off to a good start. Not everyone was happy, of course, especially those who expected to gain power by the new system, like some of those local politicians. But the war had created an air of camaraderie that was able to push the plan through. There were concerns by vocal minorities, especially older doctors, who did not like the government having so much control over their work. Other opponents were concerned about the cost to the government, or about potentially decreased quality. These currents are still being discussed in countries where similar beverage-like models are proposed. But ultimately, Bevan's plan won out, and the National Health Service was put into place in 1948. Five years later, in 1953, the British government enlisted economists to examine the costs and effectiveness of their new health service. They found that while there had been some increasing costs, most of it had come from inflation. The basic structure seemed to be sound, and real positive changes in healthcare had occurred. Access to healthcare was expanded greatly, and it showed in lifespan increases, widespread vaccination, and lowered infant mortality. To this day, the National Health Service is still working, and while the UK's health outcomes aren't the greatest among its peers, it does a great job of protecting people from financial costs of healthcare, and is good at managing certain long-term illnesses. Like I've said, every healthcare system has its problems. 
Other countries, though, have adopted similar systems, like Spain, New Zealand, most of Scandinavia, and Hong Kong, which actually refused to relinquish the system when it was returned to Chinese control. Alright, so that's it for this week. Next week, we're still talking about health insurance systems, but we're leaving Europe and moving over to Canada. If you're enjoying the show, please rate or review us on Apple Podcasts, or just tell somebody about us. You can also reach out to me with the links in the show notes. I'm always happy to hear from listeners. Thanks, as always, to Jojo Tang for editing, Angie Lee for our cover art, and Muse Open for this music. <laughs>